You're welcome. My name is Adam Curtis, and I not only have uh, feet which smell great, but I am also the curate here at Christchurch, and it's a joy uh, to, be with you, uh, to be with you all. Um, as we come to God's word, let us come in humility and in prayer. There is God, King of kings and Lord of lords. We come to you this, this day, this moment with the weeks and the days that we've had. And we ask, Father God, that may you powerfully speak to us by your word. May you refresh us. May you enlighten us. And may you guide us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. What do you value in your spiritual leaders? What do you value in your spiritual leaders? Maybe in, in, in a spiritual leader you look for someone who, who, who's quite impressive, someone worth following. Or maybe in our spiritual leaders you want someone who's sort of beloved by, by the community. Are those the things we value in our, in our spiritual leaders? Would we maybe struggle to value that individual who is just, just people in the community that are like, oh, I just don't really like what he has to what they have to say, what they have to preach. Oh, I just don't like the things I read people saying about that individual uh, on, on social media. What do we value in our spiritual leaders? The beloved or the, oh, slightly awkward? What do we value in our spiritual leaders? And what does God have to say to us today in 2 Corinthians chapter 10? We land in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, and 2 Corinthians is a letter uh, from the Apostle Paul to an early church where he's trying to deal with lots of things which are going on in this early church. We've seen over the last few weeks how Paul is trying to encourage them to fulfill the pledges they've made in their giving. But now we come back to a theme which actually Paul has, has um, highlighted earlier on in the letter, which we would have seen last term. Um, but when we were looking at it before Christmas. When Paul is trying to, on one level, defend his own ministry, but also trying to challenge them. Who are you going to listen to, early church? Who are you going to listen to? Because this early church, they had a choice. On one side, they had the person with the shiny white teeth, which they can't possibly be real. They had the person in the sharp suit. They had the person who just walked into the room and boom! They filled it because they were so impressive. And then on the other side, they had like this beaten up preacher man who had been with them and had gone away and I was writing them like strong letters about how to live and follow the Lord and he wasn't even present. And they were given this choice, who are you going to follow? This highly impressive, super like speaker, super apostle or are you going to follow and listen to the apostle Paul. What do you value in your spiritual leaders? Who are you going to listen to? The jazzy or the ordinary? And here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, please do keep it open, page 1272, Paul starts by making an appeal. And he makes this in the meekness and the gentleness of Jesus Christ, but he makes this strongly. And the appeal is found in verse 2. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold 
as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Paul is going to arrive back in Corinth. And when he arrives, he wants this church to be ready for him, to be ready for his arrival. And he, and he wants this church to deal with this sort of attitude. And, and, what, and what particularly is this attitude? That this attitude, there are some people in this church who, who are making judgments based on worldly standards, who are judging people, sort of judging a book by, by its cover. Paul wants that sort of person uh, to, be, to be dealt with. Because in ancient Greek, Greece, not ancient Greek, in ancient Greece, there was a certain sort of preacher, certain sort of speaker, certain sort of thinker who was highly sought of and highly valued. And in ancient Greek, they had to be someone who was very handsome. They had to be someone whose voice didn't need a microphone but could just pro be propelled and heard all over an auditorium. They had to be someone who had a, a quick turn of phrase. They had to, be, had to be someone who just, on the surface of it, was highly impressive. This sort of individual was highly sought after in Greek philosophy, in Greek culture, in Corinth, is part of that, that Greek world. But the problem is, according to the standards of the world, that person is so impressive. Because they, they've got the look, and they've got the voice, and they've got the phrases. But the problem is, for Paul, is he's not really any of those things. Actually, Paul, in, in some respects, he's, a, he's got an unimpressive sort of figure and an unimpressive sort of, 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 of level of voice and hasn't got the quick sort of phrases which they're looking for. And neither does he actually come from the right culture either. With his Jewish culture, he doesn't follow and flow into the, the Greek sort of mindset. So Paul hasn't got any of these things. He's unimpressive according to the standards of that Greek world. And what does Paul have? What does he have? Paul comes with divine weapons. He comes with divine weapons. He's a soldier fighting a mighty battle. But his weapons, they don't look particularly impressive according to the standards of the world. No, his weapons don't look strong. They don't look powerful. What are his weapons? They are but words. Look down with me at verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul comes with divine weapons, with weapons which can, can pull down strongholds. And with these weapons, with these words, he's helping this early church take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Every thought. And as every thought, every unbelief, Every doubt is taken captive to Jesus Christ. The strongholds will come crumbling down. So these are his weapons. We've heard his appeal. Deal with these people who make judgments by the standards of the world. We find out his weapons are words. And in verse 7 uh, uh, onwards, we, 
Paul sort of moves into defending himself. Look down with me at verse 7. You are looking only on the surface of things. If, any, if anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he the Corinthians think that it is the successful, the powerful, the beautiful who belong to Christ. Some of these people who have, uh, who, who, who have those qualities of beauty and power and, and a quick sort of phrase, they believe that they are the ones who are the beloved by Christ compared to this beaten up, absent preacher man. And Paul wants them to know, no, 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 no. Don't judge by the appearance of things. Even I am that that. That, that poor, beaten-up preacher man who isn't particularly impressive. I belong to Christ. I'm as beloved by Christ as any of them. Paul wants this early church to know that actually it is not about the appearance of things which matter. And that is why he's, he's not ashamed He's not ashamed that he is the one who brought the gospel to them. And he doesn't want them to be ashamed of that either. That he is the one who built them up. That he is the one who brought them from death to life with a proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. He has no shame, even though he is so unimpressive. Even though it now seems that this early church wants something a bit more jazzy. Paul is not ashamed of what he has done in bringing the good news to them. Do you remember being um, a teenager and, and one of those moments where your parents did something which you just found so embarrassing that you just wanted the world to swallow you up because <laughs> you just didn't want to be part of that family anymore. You just found it so embarrassing. And then, and then sort of that you look back on that moment as an adult and you realize that actually, as a teenager, you found it very embarrassing what was going on, but you actually were sort of making a judgment based on appearance, and actually the reality of the situation made perfect sense why your parents did what they did. I remember being a, a very young teenager, and uh, me and my mum were walking uh, down the road, and there was a traffic jam next to us, and uh, this uh, man in his car wheeled down his window uh, and took a packet of cigarettes, aimed it at the bin on the street, threw the cigarettes out the window, it knocked the bin and then fell on the street. My mother <laughs> walked over to those, that cigarette packet, picked it up, <laughs> went back to the open window, and she said, I think you dropped these. <laughs> I wanted to die. <laughs> I was just like, ah, don't do this to me. And now I look back at that moment as an adult, and I get it. I get why she, oh, I get why she did that. In those moments, we can look and, and judge by an appearance and we can just oh, die inside. But actually, in reality, it makes sense. Judge it. Paul wants this early church, don't judge it by the appearance. Judge it by the reality. I'm that one who came and I brought you the life-giving news of Jesus Christ, even though I'm highly unimpressive compared to those who are so jazzy. In verses 9 to 11, Paul's uh, defense of himself and of his ministry uh, continues. Because the opposition think that Paul is very unimpressive. They think, oh, his speech, 
It amounts to nothing. What about poor opposition they're going to learn? That actually Paul will one day come back to Corinth and he's going to bring every thought in obedience to Jesus Christ. And actually the strength which they read in his letters to live a holy life, to say no to sin and to live for Christ, that they are going to meet that same strength in his person. And then verses uh, 12 to 18 uh, continues uh, the argument. And as Paul is continuing the argument, we learn that actually Paul is unwilling to play this game of comparison, which those jazzy preachers wanted to play. However, even though he's unwilling to play the game of comparisons, he's still willing to boast. Look down with me at verse uh, 12 to 13. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. There is such a thing as healthy boasting. There's such a thing as healthy boasting. And that is boasting in the work which the Lord has given, the task which the Lord has given. And so Paul is willing to boast in the Corinthians because he is the one who brought the gospel to them. He is willing to boast in this work of proclaiming the gospel because this is the task which the Lord gave him. He is willing to boast in what might be done with the support of the Corinthians if only they will back him and stand with him. But above all, Paul is willing to boast in the Lord. Look down with me at verse 17. But let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Paul's rivals, they boast in themselves. They boast in their look. They boast in their voice. They boast in their, their popularity of opinions. They boast in themselves and they compare one another with themselves. But it doesn't really matter what one thinks about oneself. What matters is who does the Lord commend? It matters what the Lord thinks of you, not what we think of ourselves. Only the Lord can commend. Only the Lord God can approve. Do you remember back in, in lockdown when uh, we, we looked at 1 Samuel, uh, particularly with uh, the kids, and we had a memory verse. Men look at the outward things, but God looks Men look at the outward things, but God looks at the heart. It is only the Lord who can approve. What's the main point of, uh, of 2 Corinthians 10 for us today here in the Sig Cup? God's messengers do not live by the standards of the world. God's messengers do not live by the standards of the world. The world cares about that which looks impressive about that individual who has a, a million followers on social media, every, every tweet, every post, everything they say has got a thousand likes. 
The world cares about that person who's going to rub our own ego. The world cares about that person who sits in that place of power, in that place of position, where everyone wants to, to read and hear their opinion. That is what the world cares about. But God's messengers do not live by the standards of the world. They can be that, that, that unimpressive person who on the surface of things amounts to nothing. And yet, the words which they say have divine power to crush strongholds. The words which they bring of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ have the power to bring, build the kingdom of God. The words which they bring have the power to, 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 to tie every thought, to bring every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. They might look on the surface unimpressive. They might not have the most followers or, or social media uh, stats. They might not sit in positions of power. They might not look particularly jazzy. And yet, God is using them to build his kingdom. If you're someone today who considers themselves a, a Christian, who holds on to Jesus Christ as Lord, well, who were the people who brought you the gospel? Who are the people who told you first about Jesus Christ? And how impressive were they really? How impressive was that, that parent who read you Bible stories before you went to bed? Or that, that, that friend who opened the scriptures with you and told you about Jesus? Or that neighbor who invited you along to that event or that Christianity Explore course or that Sunday school teacher who faithfully taught you. How impressive were they in reality? And yet God has used very ordinary men and women to build his kingdom and to bring us, bring you, bring me into that kingdom of light. What is Jesus saying to us today? I think he's saying to us today, value the unimpressive messenger. Value that unimpressive messenger. And as I was sort of sitting on this, on this thought, I spent the week thinking about 2 Corinthians, meditating on it, and, and dwelling that actually God wants us to value the unimpressive messenger. I then sort of just started reflecting on the state of the church and in, in the UK, not necessarily the world, but in the UK. And... And, and there is, it, there's things to be concerned about. There's things to be concerned about. We, we read in the stats that church numbers are in decline. And so suddenly, okay, the church doesn't look as impressive as it once did. We hear that, that Labour wants to drive out the, the, the bishops from the House of Lords, so we'll lose influence, which we, we once had. Apparently last week there were groups of MPs gathering together to talk about the disestablishment of the Church of England. So it's like, oh. And I think about particularly people younger than myself who, found, who come under just great pressure for holding Jesus Christ as Lord at school or at university. And in so many ways, like, it just feels like that, 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 that things are closing in on us Christians and upon, upon the church. And yet God is telling us to value that unimpressive messenger. Value that unimpressive messenger because actually, fine, society might 
want to push us out, push us out of the house of lords, disestablish us, make us, push us to the narrow, to the, to the sides of, of our community and to society. And, and fine, society might want to say, no, you're no longer in the seat of power and position and influence which you once had. But actually, it has never been from power and influence that, that the kingdom has, has gone out. It has always been the unimpressive messenger, the, un, the unjazzy, the ordinary man and woman who has taken the gospel out. It has always been through this very normal activity of speaking about Jesus Christ to our friends and to our neighbours, to our children and our grandchildren, to our church and to our community. It's always been this very normal activity that through it, thoughts are made obedient to Jesus Christ, that through it, the dead come to life, that through it, the world has come to hear about Jesus Christ. And so in a time when our position as a Church of England is being pushed, well, let's be people who value the unimpressive messenger. Let's be people who are that unimpressive messenger. Let's not be bitter and hark back to days which, we get, which we're probably not going to live in, in in our lifetime. But let's value that unimpressive messenger because through that unimpressive messenger, the light of the gospel has come. Through those unimpressive messengers, the dead have come to life in Jesus. Through those unimpressive messengers, the world has been transformed. And the only approval which matters is not our own, and not the social media, but it's the Lord. It's the Lord. His is the only approval which matters. So let us value the unimpressive messenger. Let's spend a moment just meditating on God's word, and then I'll close in prayer. But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. But it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Father God, we live in a country, in a time, in a, in a space where we do feel that our voice is being pushed uh, to one side. And we mourn that and we are saddened by that. But help us, Father God, to be men and women who don't seek the, simply the approval of, of the world and the impressive. But help us be men and women who value those unimpressive people who tell us the glorious good news about Jesus. Help us to find comfort in those messengers and confidence in what you are doing and have done and will do. Help us, Father God, to boast in you and in you alone. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.